Honourable Mike this morning. I just have a word for you. Okay, Mornai. Yeah. Um, I just um, saw you standing on a boat, like a fisherman's boat, and I feel the Lord is specifically equipping you for something specific that you're going to be doing. I, I sense something business-like in your life, um, uh, but I feel the Lord's encouraging you to not be alone, and I don't know if you're feeling alone. Um, if the Lord wants to encourage you to partner and to allow people to speak into your life and to trust people with that which he's training you to do. Um, so I, I think the boat and the fish is also maybe ministry. I, I'm, I'm just interpreting. I'm not saying that's what it is. So can I just pray over your life? Father, I want to thank you for the life of Monet. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have called him for a specific purpose. And Lord, I thank you that he will see your hand in his life and that he will see that you are training him, Lord, and that you are making him ready for your kingdom. I thank you for the people you put around him, that he will not feel alone, Lord, that he will allow people to speak into his life and that he will minister back to others. In Jesus' name. Thanks. Isn't it great sometimes uh, people get highlighted, individuals get picked out and highlighted, you know, that God does that and it's his way. Um, yeah, and I know sometimes, you know, we can sometimes just sit back and be spectators, but I think it's good to participate because it's often a sign of, of God's love to you. If he's calling them out, it's often that he does single us out because he loves us and, um, and he does that. So, so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to preach to you this morning, or preach um, the Word of God to you, and um, I'd like us to open up our Bibles to Matthew 28. And so, as we do so, I know it's um, Barry, thanks so much. Uh, it is, so Barry's uh, moving to Paul, and, and so we are doing a um, series because obviously we've planted out a congregation to Paul. We've started a Josh Jane in Paul, just for those who don't know. And we've sent out 40 adults, 40, 43 adults, and about 20 children that have moved across to Paul that are from Paul, that, so that haven't relocated. The only person who's relocating at the moment is Barry, uh, as they're looking at doing that. And so, and I just want to single them out, you know, there's a lot of people who work hard, that give themselves hard into the things of God. And um, I've been in this congregation for three years now. We moved from Cape Town. And Barry's been one of the guys that's, that has given himself over to the things of God. He's worked hard in, in, the, in the kingdom. And you know, you can work hard for God. It's not right. That's good to work hard for God because it's his grace that enables you to work hard for God. We don't earn favor with God. We just do it because we have favor. And Barry's been one of those guys. And Barry, we're going to miss you. And I'm sure you're going to come back. And, and there'll be a lot of cross-pollination between the Paul guys. But for us as a Wellington congregation, this is quite a defining time. And so we've been doing a series of the last few weeks about kind of what does the church look like and what are we called to be as a church. So whether you're a member of Wellington AM or you're just a visitor, this is also for you. You don't have to be a member to partake of this because this is something of the Word of God. And so I want to share with you um, this week, the first week we looked at worship and how we're called to be a worshiping people. And our God calls us to be those who, who, who um, that we have a culture definitely in, in Wellington of worship. And we're called to be a people who worship God. And that means participating. That means not just on a Sunday, but on a Monday and on a Thursday night and on a Wednesday. But we are people who worship God. And we worship God. 
Um, we honor him and we put him in first. We looked at that, and if you didn't listen to it, you can download it on the Joshian website. Last week, Morris shared about being a people who know God and who know their God, and it's those who know their God who will do great things. And if you want to do great things for God, you have to know him. You can't do great things in order to know him, but because we know him. And so Morris preached on that last week, and so this week, what I'm going to preach on is again from Matthew 28, and I want to preach about being a church that practices discipleship, practices discipleship, and look at what that means. In Afrikaans, die woord is discipleskap. Amen. <laughs> so that is the word in, uh, in Afrikaans, discipleskap, and I'm going to read this section to you from Matthew 28, verse 16, onwards to verse 19. And um, here, I know in my Bible, it is entitled The Great Commission. And this commission, or this um, commandment, in a sense, given to, they were given to specific individuals that Jesus spoke to. They, they were given to his original disciples. And so let's just read it, and then we'll look at it from there. Now, the 11, because obviously Judas wasn't with them anymore, disciples, and they get called disciples, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always and to the end of the age. So, the question I want to ask firstly is, what is a disciple? When we speak about discipleship, discipleship, what is it? What is a disciple? Because for us, we don't use that word very often um, in our culture, but definitely in the church we do. And here we find it's disciples of Jesus, and he commands them to make disciples. And so let's have a look at that together. And so firstly, I want to say that the word disciple, at its roots, it means learner. That's what it means at the roots of the word, that if you say you are a disciple of Jesus, what you are saying is you're a learner. You're someone that learns from Jesus. Um, another word is an apprentice or an appy. How many of you are, any of you appies here? Yeah, it's an uppy. I don't think that's the right word. Okay. Oppy. No, that would be wrong. Okay. <laughs> okay, you can see my Afrikaans is bad. I'm going to stick to English. So you might be an apprentice or someone that is learning from someone else, some people that are in a trade, and let's say you're a plumber or you're a builder or you're a, a craftsman in some way. Often people that learn like that, what they do is they go under the apprenticeship of a master or someone who is an expert in their field. And the ancient disciples is that when you were a disciple in the ancient world, it's if you were someone as a disciple that you wanted to go and learn from someone. And specifically, what a young disciple would do is they would attach themselves to a rabbi or to a teacher, someone that they could be mentored by and learn from and get um, knowledge and training. But it wasn't just something that they could get past information. And you see, I know we're used to the school system, definitely here in South Africa, that if we speak about someone who's a learner, you're speaking about someone who's then a teacher over the learner. But ancient discipleship was not like that. It wasn't just about someone giving information, like a teacher or a master giving the learner information. It was about 
learning from their example and not just from their words, that they were devoted to them. And one of the ancient sayings and phrases um, was this, is that if you were a disciple and you were following after a rabbi or a teacher or a master, one of the old sayings about a true disciple, this is how you would know what a true disciple was. And this is the old saying. It says, a true disciple is covered in the dust of his rabbi. A true disciple is covered in the dust of his rabbi. What does that mean? Well, what it meant was that the disciple or the learner or the apprentice was so eager to learn and to follow and be devoted to the master or to the teacher, to the rabbi, that what they would do is they would follow them literally around where they traveled in the ancient world. And these disciples would follow so close, in a sense, behind the, 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 the rabbi that if um, they followed close enough, in a sense, that when the rabbi walked on those dusty streets of Israel, and you'd walk and you'd pick up dust, the disciple was so close behind him that he would literally pick up the dust from the rabbi's feet. That's how close he was to the rabbi. And it's a picture of saying, I'm devoted to you. I'm going to be your learner. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to be someone that not only is going to take your teachings and your words, but I'm going to follow your example and your life. And so a disciple wasn't just someone who kind of used to check in on a Monday morning and do class for two hours. A disciple is someone that lived with a rabbi. They ate with a rabbi. They slept with a rabbi. They were in school with a rabbi. It was 24-7. It was often something that was a lifestyle rather than on a course they went to. And, um, and, so, and so in Acts now, what's interesting is that in Acts, you know, it speaks, the whole book of Acts speaks about Christians. Actually, only once. It uses the word that if you're, if the followers of Jesus, they were only once in the whole book of Acts called Christians. 31 times the Christians get called something else. And the word is disciple. So all the way through the book of Acts, it says, and the disciples were, and it mentions them. So it characterizes these early believers by this word, disciple. Now, friends, what has this got to do with us today? Well, because there's a command here is that these, these followers were disciples, but disciples of who? Were they disciples just of the Bible, of the teachings of Jesus? No, these were disciples that were following after G the person of Jesus. They were radical, following after God. They were devoted to him, even at their own personal cost. Even when it cost them everything, they wanted to follow Jesus above all else. And, um, you know, Jesus is very clear that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, that if you're going to be a follower of him, there's a great cost involved in it. That he actually, in one sense, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus actually makes it very difficult for people to follow him. He didn't make it easy. He didn't say, when the crowds were with him, he was like, come on, you can all follow me now. He began to say hard sayings which offended people, and many people turned away from following. And this is almost as if... Jesus didn't want cheap disciples, or he didn't want disciples who would be following them or following him because it was convenient. Jesus wanted devoted followers of him that would be willing to lay their lives down for him. And so he begins to have all these hard sayings, and one of the hard sayings that he says in Luke 14, and like us to read it together, is um, Luke 14 verse 25, and let's see what, what happens here. And so it says, and great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned to them and he says this, If anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's not a great way to win, win followers, is it? <laughs> this, is not the, this is not what you want to do if you, want to, if you want to build a religion around you. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. One who does not renounce. And so the idea of Jesus, that if Jesus is saying, I'm going to call disciples after me, Jesus is not looking for people that are going to serve him out of their own convenience. Jesus is looking for people who would be so radical that he says they will even hate their own lives. In fact, he says they will hate their mother and their father. What does Jesus mean by that? Because often I've struggled with that scripture. doesn't mean that Jesus is calling you to hate your parents if you're going to follow him. To abandon your parents and say, Mom, Dad, sorry, I can't actually talk to you anymore because now I'm a follower of Jesus. <laughs> that is not what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus commands us to love and to honor our parents. What he's saying here is this word hate was a common way of teaching in the Jewish world where he was using a comparison to say, compared to your love for me, it's as if you would hate your parents. He's, that's the way the teachers taught, is they use comparison and overstatement. Jesus was the master of things like hyperbole and metaphor. For example, he says in one place that if your eye causes you to sin, you have to cut it out. You've literally got to get a knife and you gouge out your eye and you pull out your eye if your eye causes you to sin. Now, is Jesus really saying that you must cut your eye out? Because why are so many of you here with two eyes? Why, why aren't our leaders people with one eye? You know, we should all have one eye or, or, or one hand or no eyes because our eyes cause us to sin. What Jesus is doing, friends, is he's using a picture to describe something saying you must be radical with sin. You can't entertain sin. You can't say, well, I can be a Christian and it's okay for me to look at this thing or look at pornography. He's saying, no, 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 no. You've got to serve me wholeheartedly. And he's using these kinds of pictures. So when Jesus says you've got to hate your mother and father and even your own life, remember, he's not contradicting the Old Testament commands. What he's saying is, he's saying you've got to love me above everyone else so much that it's as if you even hate your parents and it's as if you hate yourself that you're denying everything, and that you're falling hard after God, those are the kind of disciples that he wants, that the posture of your heart is one of, I'm, a, I'm someone that is not concerned about, I'm falling after God. That's kind of the sense that, and you know, one of the, the slogans that we have in Josh Jen, we've got a, a slogan that we don't use it that much anymore, but it's something that we used to have these old stickers that we used to print um, back in Sunningdale, and we'd stick them on our motor cars, you know, bumper stickers. And on the sticker, it had a logo of Josh Jen, 
And we had a little slogan that says, dying to live. Dying to live. How many of you remember that? Do any of you have that? Quite a few. Dying to live. Especially if you're from that area. And because for us, we've always taught that if you become part of this church, we want to take these words seriously. That if, the, if Jesus says to us that a, the disciple is someone that is renouncing his life, that is falling hard after God, that is in a sense saying, I'm not going to live for what's convenient. I'm going to serve God even if it's difficult and uncomfortable. And the kind of disciples that we want to see here in Wellington are these kind of disciples. And friends, I want to say to you that if you come just because it's convenient, there might be better churches for you because we don't want to lead you into what's just nice and comfortable and convenient. We want to lay our lives down for Christ. That's the kind of, the kind of disciple that he wants, that he desires for him. And it doesn't mean that life is, you know, you're going to have to suck lemons as a Christian because life's so hard and miserable. No, Christianity is a joy. Man, it is wonderful and glorious, but the joy comes through the cross. And so this is something that is very, very different to what we see in churches today. Some of the biggest churches that we find around are churches that basically try and pander to what you want. How to have a better life. How to be successful, how to be happy. David Pawson once said, he said, God's aim is not for you to be happy in this life. That's not his goal. God's goal is for you to be holy in this life and to be happy in the next. Again, doesn't say that we can't be happy. We should be happy. We should be the happiest people on earth. But our goal is on happiness. Our goal is holiness. That's the kind of disciple that the Lord is looking for. So how do we practice discipleship? And I want to pick a few things out the scripture from Matthew 28. There's four things that I want to leave with you this morning of how do we practice discipleship. Number one, and um, the first way we practice discipleship, you can write this down if you want, or you can just listen, is number one is by being missionary-minded. That's the first way. And I want to use that word specifically, being missionary-minded. And you see it says here, um, Jesus says in, in verse 19, he says, go and make disciples. And there's a sense that, do you know what a missionary is? Who can tell me and describe or define what is a missionary? How would, you, how would you describe a missionary? We don't actually have missionaries in our church in terms of one person, his picture's on the board. We've got lots of pictures on the board. But we don't have one person. We all support that one person. And they are on the mission field. They're missionaries for God, and they're missionaries in Mozambique, and we all pay for them, and we sit here, and they go as missionaries. No, no, we, we don't work like that. Okay, and I'll explain now. But what is a missionary? Who can tell me? What defines? Auntie Bev? Someone who's called, that's right, part of it, and someone who is sent. It's someone who is sent to go and to preach the gospel. Now, if Jesus says that to 11, the 11 disciples, he says this to them, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, here's the question, is that was this commandment something that they were able to do? Because there's just 11 of them. I mean, are these 11 going to conquer the world? What do you think? No. <laughs> God's command was never just for the 11. God's command was for the church, every single person, to take this heart and to say, I'll go. I want to go. I want to be a missionary for God. Now, the thing is, the way we work as a church is that the wonderful thing is that each of us are, in a sense, we, when we step out of this place, I've always said there's an invisible sign over that door. 
So when you walk out that door and that door, there's an invisible sign. And on the sign, it says, you are now entering the mission field. When you walk out of the, 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 this church, that's, in other words, we're all saying, God, I will go. I will go. I will go in your name. I'll be available. And you might say, but I don't know anything. I'm, you know, I can't be a missionary for God. Aren't there people that are really holy? Yeah, but we all called to be holy. I bet, aren't there those people that like, are really poor and you know, don't have any and you've got to live by faith and you don't have a job and... No. <laughs> it's just someone that loves God and is available in everything you do. Um, the actual language in this, if you look at verse 19, it says, go therefore to command, but it can also be, um, in the language, it can also mean, as you go, go and make disciples. As you go. In other words, the commandment isn't just go, for example, and go on a mission trip. Or go and, you know, you must go and sell everything you have to go to Mozambique. He's saying this, that when you go about your daily life, as you go, go and make disciples. In other words, you might be here and you're a school teacher. Or you're a house mom. Or you're a salesperson. Or you're a student at a school, at a university. Jesus says to you today that as you go, will you go and represent me? in everything you do. You know, there's a story I want to share just of the way that I think, um, this is a story that Eddie did, is that when we were living in Edgemead, um, we were part of a local primary school, government school that our kids were in. They weren't homeschooled, they were at the school. And we used to often go and watch the hockey matches. Michaela, our oldest daughter now, was a hockey, she was a goalkeeper in the hockey team in grade five and grade six. And so she, she had this hockey mask and all these pads on and she'd walk around like this, and, you know, being the hockey goal, and we'd often go and watch her play games and meet some of the parents on the side of the field. And the one day, I wasn't there, but Adi was standing on the side of the field watching my daughter crush, crush the opposition. No, it wasn't. And uh, crush them. And so she was watching them uh, play, and, there, and a lady was standing next to her, and Adi got chatting to this lady. And again, as she was going, she was going as a mom onto the hockey field, watching her daughter, is Adi started to become friends with her. Her name was Tracy started to befriend her, and, you know, this lady was, um, uh, she wasn't going to church at the time, and she kind of had a belief in God, but she had quite a strange idea on, on the things of God, and so Adi began to talk to her. Soon enough, she came around for tea, and I met her, and then we invited them around for supper the one night, with her and her husband, and her husband, remember, he was a very heavy smoker, um, and he knew it was wrong, but he was like, okay, I know, I'm trying to give up. It's like, anyway, but he would come in, and he would smoke outside the house, and come into the house, and we'd have supper. And we didn't mind, because he's not, they weren't Christians in the sense. They were like, no, you can smoke. It doesn't matter. They're, they're bigger problems, you know. Um, you can go to hell and not be a smoker, you know. But we want you, you know, don't worry about the smoking. That's, that's on the side. And so we befriended them, and um, their daughter ended up becoming friends with Michaela. And through that they ended up joining, recommitting their lives to the Lord, joining the church, and today they're on eldership in Edgemead Congregation, Ryan and Tracy Jap. And it's like, it just started because A.D. met her on the side of the hockey field, and as she was going, she was looking for opportunities to say, Lord, would you use me? Um, I just, I want to be a friend. I want to befriend someone. And there are many, many people that just need a friend. It might not mean that you've got to take out your Bible and kind of preach to them right at the beginning. It might mean, you know, it's almost like there's an old saying that David Pawson says. He says, before you get on a ship, 
You've got to come alongside the ship before you can board the ship. And there's many people, it's like you want to board the ship and you want to tell them about God. And it's like you're jumping on the ship from the back. You can't do that. You've got to come alongside them. You've got to build a bridge and then you've got to get on the ship. And in a sense, that's how gospel, the gospel works. We're often so keen, some of us, to do evangelism. We often have to do pre-evangelism. Like you've got to learn just to, just to be nice to someone, just to love them. And they see something of the authenticity of the gospel. So it does mean that. But it can also mean go specifically into the nations. And you know, this value we have is like we go on outreaches. I mean, this year we've been to Russia. We've taken teams. And when you go specifically, not just as you go, but trust God to go with us somewhere where we go. Trust God that you would go to maybe on an outreach somewhere where we take a team. And let me say that if you go, how many of you here have been on an outreach? Um, You've gone specifically. Quite a few. Now, how many of you have found that you thank God you've gone on the outreach? That you, anyone regret going on an outreach? You say, what a waste of money. I can't believe I wasted to go to Russia. Oh, I can't believe it. Any of you feel like that? Of course not. Because when you go, you grow. And so that is God's way. And so the first value that we have of discipleship is we have the sense of we're missionary minded. Friends, I want to say to you, would you have your passport ready? Because when you sign up to follow Jesus, you are signing up to say, I'm a world Christian. My inheritance is the nations of the world. And you know, you have, the, you have the joy of being part of a church that believes that our inheritance is the nations of the world. We've got people that are coming in and partnering with us that are desperate for healthy church. They're coming from places like Malaysia, Poland, Singapore, um, obviously Australia. We've got you know, Isle of Man, Brazil, we have got people desperate to see what we have and have what we have. Um, Would we be willing to do that as world Christians? That's number one, being missionary-minded. Number two, how else do we practice discipleship? Is number two, by baptizing. By baptizing. It's a really simple one, because Jesus says, go make disciples, and the very first thing that they have to go and do is they've got to baptize people baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is the very first step of discipleship. Some of you, there might be some of you here that you are wanting to follow Christ, but you have never been baptized. Oh, maybe you've got wet as a baby before, you know. You got sprinkled as a baby. That is not the biblical form of baptism. And I want to encourage you that if you are serious about taking steps for God, the first step, is you've got to go under the waters of death and you've got to rise again into the waters of resurrection. You've got to, and why do we baptize people? Because it is a symbol of the grave to say that your old life is gone and when you come out of the water, it's a symbol that you have risen with Christ. Someone once said that baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. An outward sign of what God has done in you that when you get born again, you die to your old life and you are made a new person in Christ Jesus. And the water is a symbol of that. It's a picture of the good news that you're a new creation and your old life is washed away. Is there anyone here that has not been water baptized? And I want to ask you, if, if you are here and you have not been, but you love the Lord, would you, would you say, but Lord, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is 101 discipleship. So that's number two, by baptizing. Who baptizes people? It's only Derek that's allowed to baptize because he's, he's an oman. No, anyone can baptize. You just have to be a disciple so you can baptize a disciple. Number two, that's number two. Number three, 
<coughs> by teaching and by learning. That is the way that we um, practice discipleship, by teaching and by learning. And I'm not going to say anything on that. I'm gonna, we're going to look at that next week. What does it mean to learn and to teach and to obey God and have a culture of obedience? What does that look like? What are we called to do? We're not going to touch on that. We're going to look at that next week by teaching and learning. But let's look, look, look at number four. And number four is by walking with others. By walking with others. And I put this in there because although it's not directly in Matthew 28, but it's implied in Matthew 28. Because when you go and, in a sense, become a disciple of Jesus, and when you go and you make disciples of Jesus, when you befriend someone and bring them into, into the church and into the kingdom of God, it's a process. And one of the Bible um, uh, encyclopedias said this about what is discipleship. This is the definition of discipleship. The process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. The process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you sign up to discipleship, you're signing up for a long-term project. This isn't something you're thinking, right, in two weeks, I'm a disciple. And you sorted. I'm going on a two-week course, and they're going to offer it in the chapel on a Tuesday night. And when I go on that course, and when I go through, and I'm going to do a two-week course, I'm coming out, and now I'm a disciple. I've, I've got it. Okay? That's not discipleship. That is just the first step. Discipleship is a process from where you grow, from someone that is a carnal new Christian into a process of maturity in Jesus. And I want to say that you, that is a lifetime process. You are a learner until the day that you die. I love when Jesus calls the 12. Is, um, don't worry, it's, it's normal church life. Got kids crying and, you know, that's, don't you love it? It's church. So. <laughs> so, kids screaming in the back, it's like parents running out, like, man, that's why we're a family, you know? You're not, you don't have to get it all together. Anyway, just saying the obvious. Um, so, this thing in closing is that Jesus, when Jesus called the 12 disciples, friends, what he did is he didn't call them on a course. He called to walk with them. He walked with them. He journeyed with them. He processed things with them. Then many of them, when he got frustrated with them, can you imagine getting frustrated with these men? Many of them were like Peter. I mean, Peter was this impetuous hothead, and he had all these, he had the zeal for God, but he did stupid things. He says to Jesus, by no means, Lord, can you go to Jerusalem. You cannot die on the cross. And he's about to hold Jesus back from dying on the cross. Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Imagine if you're discipling someone and you rebuke them like that. That is the end of our friendship. <laughs> There's a process. We stick together through thick and through thin. We, we, we are journeyed. And so as a church, this value of ours, friends, is that when people come in to be discipled, and with one another it works like this, it doesn't happen through a course. We do courses, but it happens as we open our lives and as we journey together. In one sense, you have to be eating the dust of the leaders. It was like at the feet of the rabbi, as we follow Jesus, we, the reality is how do we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus by being together in relationship. And I know that there's some of you that don't believe in that. Right here, right here today. Some of you come regularly. You come when it suits you. You come twice a month or you come to community when you want to, but you very much are on your own. I know, that there's, I know there's quite a few of you here that are like that. 
And I want to say to you, please, would you, if you look at Scripture, if you want to grow in God, there's only one way to do it. It's in relationship. It's in family. It's as we, as we, it's as we sharpen one another. The proverb says that as one man sharpens, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. How does God grow us? He puts you around someone that you're going to learn from and grow from. And you know, one example of that is um, Derek and Teresa have been part of the congregation now for about a, a year. I think you've been with us, almost a year. They've come from Durbanville, all the way over the hill. And um, <clears throat> they came in, they were serving, been serving the Lord many, many years. They were serving as elders in Durbanville. I didn't know Derek very well when he came here. I knew he was. I knew that he was a businessman, and I knew he loved the Lord. I knew that they were, his kids came through TMT. We knew his kids, wonderful, amazing. And I was like, okay, I want to get to know this guy. And I want to say that for me, one of the ways that God has even shaped some of my thinking around areas like money and possessions in light of following Jesus is I've spent time with him. And as I'm in relationship with him, spending time asking him questions, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach to him and show him how clever I am. I'm asking him questions. And I've been asking, Derek, how do you handle your money? How do you budget? Like, what is your view on this? What do you believe about investment? What do you do as a Christian when it comes to giving? And we talk through these things, and as we do, God begins to shape me, and it's as if that I'm eating, um, uh, the, the dust of the rabbi is coming on, and, and I'm learning from Jesus as he has learned some of the hard lessons in his own life, as he's been shaped through the fire, has been refined by Christ. The way that we grow is through these kinds of things, around the dining room table. You know, we believe in coffee table Christianity. We really do. We believe in dining room Christianity, that the way we grow is actually being by, by one another, by listening. And sometimes, you know, I think sometimes I'll be honest, I find sometimes in spending time, as we spend time with one another, some of you are very good at sharing a lot of your heart, but maybe just ask more questions. Why do you do this? You, let me give you an example, right? And I'm just sharing with you right now as, as a father in the house. But we, we've got three children. We've got Michaela's 19, Joel's 16, and Daniel's 12. And we have walked with them. We've journeyed with them. We've parented them over 19 years. We are not perfect parents. We have got a lot to learn. We are learning, by the way. And we are being discipled in our parenting. But some of you are here, and you've got little children. How are you going to learn how to parent your children? <clears throat> Let me ask you that question. Are you going to learn it through a book? You can. But you should find parents that are further down the road. And what is the beauty of the church? And we had to do this. We spent time when our kids were young and we said to an older, how have you parented your children? How have you disciplined them? Show me, t teach us. And that is the way that we've grown. And so we've got a wealth here, friends. We, we've got things to give. And I'm not saying I want to be a, I'm not, I'm not the, I don't want to be the parent guru. But we got, and some of you are struggling with your kids. Come to us. We want to help you process it and how to lead and love your children. Um, and that's the beauty of church. You know, we've got people here that have been worked through. They've, God has done a deep work on suffering. Some of them have, have lost dear ones. They've, they've, they've worked through illness. They've worked through issues of faith. Go and learn from one another. And we have got gold in this congregation. We've got people like Ken and Hildy. Ken has been serving Jesus for, and Hildy for many years. He's wearing a Liverpool shirt, so you know he's a godly man. <laughs> you know he loves the Lord if he's wearing a Liverpool shirt. Amen? <laughs> okay, we're soccer um, supporters here. 
These, these people, they've been walking with God. They've been through the valley of, of the shadow of death when it comes to things like that. And he has trusted God all the way through with his business. That type of thing. Some of you here, we can pull you out and say, learn from one another. And so as we, as we walk out this faith, discipleship doesn't happen purely in a course. It doesn't happen in a book. It happens as we do family, as we the people of God. We're not going to get it right. We're not perfect. But we're following after the, the rabbi. We're following after the teacher. We, we're learning from him. And as we do, we want to take that and we want to give it to you. Will you be willing to do that? Not judge you. Not say, Ugh, how can you be struggling with that? If you come to one of us as leaders and say, Mike, I'm really struggling. I've realized I actually don't know how to read my Bible. And I haven't actually read my Bible properly, yeah, maybe ever. I'm not going to go, what? Sis? You know? How dare you? You don't know how to read your Bible or you say, man, I've re- I'm really struggling with pornography. I've got a, it's an addiction. People are not going to judge you for that. They're going to say, come, we're going to walk alongside you and we're going to trust and with you until you find breakthrough. So in closing, I want to say, in the ancient world, a disciple would search out someone that would disciple them. If you were a disciple, it was your responsibility to find a rabbi. Now, in one sense, we do that, but you know the wonder of the gospel is this, that before you could reach out to Jesus, Jesus actually called you by name. In the ancient world, one of the things you had to do is you had to pay a fee to often to the rabbi. You had to actually give money to the rabbi, and you had to request to be part of his school. And sometimes the rabbi would reject you. He would say, there is no space in my school. Try find someone else. You know the wonder of the gospel? Jesus has paid the fee for you. That he died on a cross to purchase our sins and that he has reached out to us. You know, when he called the 12, the 12 were not looking for Jesus. Peter was fishing and Jesus goes to him and says, Peter, would you come and follow me? We serve a God that is calling us to follow him in discipleship. And so I want to pray for us because, you know, discipleship is not cheap. It costs Jesus his very life. And for us, it's costly to serve him and to follow him, but it's a great joy. And so, Kim, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for this morning, and we want to thank you for the opportunity, even just, I know that there's some here that are really wrestling with you, Lord, of the cost of discipleship. Even that word that Anil brought, Lord, when it came to sifting and how you want to take out the... the, um, the flower out of us, the yeast. Lord, we know that you want to deal with us. You want to refine us. And Lord, there might be some here today that don't know you, firstly, that are far from God. There might be some here that they know that their lives are not right with him. And I want to say, if, if you are here and you know that you are not yet saved, or you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you an opportunity today to do that to surrender, to give yourself to the Lord. Is there anyone like that with every eye closed? Would you just put your hand in the air and say, Mike, that's me. I, I need to make, get right with the Lord. I need to turn away from my, my old life and I want to be a follower of Jesus. Is there anyone like that this morning? You haven't made that decision yet. Or maybe you did a long time ago and you've fallen away from him. You're not following Jesus. You've been following yourself. I want to say today the Lord is calling you. He says he loves you. He's paid the price for your sins. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to try hard. You've got to surrender. 
is there anyone like that this morning that you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Just quickly show me so I can pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Okay, then just for the second group that I want to pray for is if you felt the Lord highlighting, for example, maybe for you, you've been convicted of things like baptism. Well, you know that there's an area that the Lord would want you to, to work on. Can we all stand? Let's just all stand together. And what I want us to do is just want us to end with a song of worship. And, um, you know, we were singing a song earlier about Jesus be the center of it all. And uh, I'd like us to sing that again and just to posture our hearts before the Lord. And if you know that you want to do business with God this morning, it's like you want to come and you want to say, Lord, I want to learn what it means to be a disciple of yours. I want to count the cost. I want to, maybe there's some things that I'm, I've been holding on to that, that you know that are not of the Lord. Would you come and just give it to the Lord even as we worship together? Um, things that maybe you know you need God to cut off or count the cost in. Maybe it's a step of obedience this morning. As we come to worship him, would you just say, Lord, I want to, let me pray. Father, this morning, we want to say we want to be learners till the day we die. Maybe we've been running well. Some of us have been running well for five years or two years or ten years. Lord, we want to run well as disciples till the day we die. We want to learn about you and from you, be devoted to you. And would you come, Lord, afresh and give us fuel for the faith? Would you come and breathe afresh into us? Breathe your wind into our sails. Lord, would you come this morning and, and cause us to lay aside the things that would hinder us, to, to get it off, to get off the sins and the weights. Anything, Lord, that could hinder us, Lord, would you come? Would you come this morning, Lord, and just begin to just empower us by your Holy Spirit right now? Come and refine us. Come and purify us. Just where you are, would you just reach out to God and just say, Lord, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. I want, I want to grow in this life of faith. I want to open up my life. I want to know what it means to, to, to love others more and to come alongside and be part of this family. I want, to, I want to know what it means to follow hard after God and be devoted to Him. I want to be a worshiper of Him and who knows my God, can do great exploits. Lord, we want to be those disciples that go Oh, Lord, for some that might even be feeling weak and timid, would you come and empower us this morning by your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to go in your grace, in your strength, by your Spirit, not in our own strength, Lord, this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, would you breathe over us, Lord? Would you breathe over us, Lord? Come, would you, would you refine us? Would you refine us and work in us, oh God? Lord, would you make us the people of God? people of God, that you are God and we are your people. The sheep of your pasture, you are our shepherd, leading, guiding. We're following after the shepherd of our souls. Come, let's worship together. Jesus.